Now, this morning we are continuing the sermon series entitled The Amazing Possibilities of Prayer. We've said that prayer is a conversational relationship with God uh, about the life that we're living together, directing our thoughts and words to, to God and then listening to Him. We desire that our foundations in prayer, what we actually believe, are biblical and compelling. We desire that our practices, what we do with prayer, is simple. And thirdly, we want our experiences, that is what actually happens when we pray, to grow to reflect all of Jesus' powerful promises about prayer. Promises like the one found in Matthew's Gospel, the 21st chapter, where Jesus said, you can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you'll receive it. And we've been looking at the model for prayer that Jesus gave his disciples when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, We more commonly know this model as the Lord's Prayer, and it's found in Matthew's Gospel, the sixth chapter. If you want to open your Bibles there, if you have a a smartphone, you can open your Bible app to Matthew chapter 6. We've been seeing that the Lord's Prayer has six parts. There are five specific petitions and one concluding praise. And it's kind of like an accordion in the sense that it can expand or contract in our praying as to the time that we have available. So far, we've looked at the first petition, and we've seen that our prayers are to begin with acknowledgement of identity, ours as God's children, his as our father. Secondly, we've looked at uh, the second petition of the Lord's kingdom, that we're to pray Uh, for his love and his mercy, his truth and his power to break into our lives and the lives of those we love. Last week, we began looking at the uh, third petition in the Lord's Prayer that has to do with provision. And we discovered that we are to make specific and daily entreaties for uh, our material, physical, and financial needs, as well as for hot bread that we can give to others. Now, this morning, we're going to look at the fourth petition, or begin looking at it over the next two weeks, actually. And we're going to see that God the Father wants to move in our relationships, both as we receive his forgiveness and as we extend it to others. I thought it'd be appropriate we continue this tradition by praying the Lord's Prayer out loud together as we begin. So let's do this together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we thank you that you gave us a model prayer with which to connect to you. We thank you, Lord, that that it instructs us to to pray uh, to you as our Father. We thank you that we're rightly related as Father, that our identity is rooted in you. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good Father, that you've always been good, and you are always good. And we pray that an overwhelming sense of your goodness would break into our lives and our families and our church and our community. And we pray the prayer, Lord, uh, that you taught us to pray, may your kingdom come soon, may your will be done, in all the ways you know we so desperately need inspiring us to worship, enriching our relationships with one another, equipping us to serve in all the different places where you scatter us in the week to come. 
Put power on your word to our lives. Put power on your lesson in the, in the vineyard kids next door. Lord, we welcome you here in Jesus' name. Amen. The fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer is, and forgive us our sins as we've forgiven those who sin against us. Many of you are probably more familiar with the rendering in the New King James, the New International, or the New American Standard versions of the Bible, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So this petition has to do with our relationships, removing those roadblocks of unforgiveness and moving towards wholeness, first as we receive forgiveness from God, and second as we release it or uh, uh, share it with others. Now, it's interesting that the, uh, uh, the note, to, to note that this petition is linked with the second petition, to give us this day our, our daily bread, with the conjunction word, and. And I think it serves to to reemphasize Jesus' appeal that our prayers regarding relationships, like our prayers for provision that we looked at last week, are both specific and daily. And so we could, for the sake of clarity, restate this part of the Lord's Prayer with the petition and forgive us today our sins, just as we've forgiven those who sin against us. And the word debts is more accurately translated sins in the New Living Translation we saw today. Now, it is true that Jewish teaching of the, of the era regarded sins as debts before God, because he's the one we've ultimately wronged, or more specifically, his sense of justice rooted in the law. But Technically speaking, the only debt that we owe God is a life of love and worship, service and obedience. There's no way we can repay God for the errors and omissions, both morally and ethically. In that sense, there there, there are no debts. Uh, But God here is instructing us to uh, restore relationship with himself and with others. So the fourth petition in the prayer begins with the words, and forgive us our sins. Now, we have suggested on other occasions our very deep conviction that mankind's greatest problem is sin, and therefore our greatest need is forgiveness. This is not to minimize the the global problems today of war and and uh, genocide or murder, as we saw just this week, tragically, in the city of Aurora, Colorado. Poverty and greed and injustice, sickness and disease, the global HIV crisis, sex slave uh, trafficking, the depletion of natural resources, and any other number significant and growing problems. They, they are real. They are, they are uh, to be sure, reckoned with. But, but it is to say that at the root Jesus is acknowledging that mankind's most fundamental need is forgiveness, that our biggest problem is sin. Thankfully, God has made provision for forgiveness of sin through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus. The Apostle Paul succinctly describes uh, this truth in the book of Romans in the third chapter when we read in verse 25, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And so this text 
succinctly tells us that God is addressing mankind's greatest need through the provision of the death and resurrection of his son. And the text tells us that when we believe in Jesus, that is, when we turn from sin and selfishness, and we surrender our lives to God, at that moment we are forgiven and we are made new by the Holy Spirit. We are made right with God. And at that moment, our most fundamental need for forgiveness is satisfied in Jesus. We become his child. He becomes our father, which is how we begin the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who's in heaven. Now, as children of God, right related to him as our father, we live in the tension of two truths. And I use the word tension because it's actually descriptive. Uh, in, in physics, uh, tension refers to a force that pulls or stretches something. It can also refer to, to the stress created or to the effect between two forces that are pulling against one another. In God's kingdom, as we've seen, uh, we, we live in the, in the effect of, of two kingdoms. We're, we're living in the midst of the present evil age and the, the new age to come. And so we live in, in the effect or the tension of two equally universal, equally powerful truths, which is why we need to pray the fourth prayer, uh, in, in the Lord's, or the fourth petition in the Lord's prayer. Let me describe those two truths for you. The first truth is this. The power of sin is broken in our life, and we no longer suffer its power or its penalty. In the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, the Apostle Paul describes this truth this way. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Romans 6, 6 to 7. And so, friends, what this means is that when we trust Jesus, when we believe, we are forgiven by his shed blood. We are made new by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And we've been set free from sin's suffocating grip. It is no longer our master. We are no longer sin's slave. Our old self died. Uh, we are now made new and right in God's sight, just as if we'd never sinned. But the second truth, the second truth of the tension is this. We are all vulnerable to temptation, and we will continue to sin. As children of God this morning, who among us would deny that every day we think, say, and do stuff that's wrong, don't we? The Bible calls that sin. To be human is to sin and fall short of God's glorious standard. Even though we've, we've been forgiven by Jesus' death and resurrection, the shedding of his blood, even though we are made new by the Holy Spirit, even though he now lives inside, we, we are uh, righteous as how, in terms of how we stand before God, we will still struggle in what we think, what we say, and what we do. The book of Galatians, the fifth chapter, the Apostle Paul describes this truth. Let's read in verses 17 and 18. He writes, The sinful nature, other translations call that the flesh, wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. 
These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. The Apostle Paul described his own struggle with these words in the book of Romans, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Any of you see yourselves in those verses? We live in a battle, say, tension between these two truths. In, in, in my opinion, there's no way to read the New Testament and see the life we live as a disciple framed any other way than that of a war, that we live in a tension between the two kingdoms, flesh and spirit, old nature, new nature, new man, old man, present evil age, uh, age to come, redeemed from sin, but still struggling with sin. There's just no way to describe our life as any in any other way. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We've, we are made victorious. We live in the presence of the future. We are a new man, a new woman filled with the Holy Spirit, redeemed free from sin. We are sons and daughters still suffering the effects of this present evil age. We are weak. We are not yet totally like Christ. We are vulnerable to temptations in the flesh, and we will sin. Both are true, equally true at the same time. So if you feel like you're going crazy, it's because you are. <laughs> because there's this tension going on in us all the time. We experience this tension every day. And maybe it's going to go something like this for you, the way it works for me. So we walk out of a worship service where today, you know, we, we, we feel God's powerful presence. Uh, we, we are uh, assured of victory. We have feelings of, of pleasure. We're, we're, we're empowered with hope and courage to live uh, as a Christ follower where we live and play and work and go to school this week. You know, we're just so glad that we're, we're part of a celebrating community that's actually pressing into the things of God's kingdom and we're making progress in our own journey of faith. And then later in the day, when someone interrupts our Sunday afternoon nap or we get into an argument on where we're going to go for dinner or we get upset at one of our kids or we look at something on the Internet we shouldn't, we actually then manifest unchristlike attitudes and actions that should embarrass us. And it does. And that's the way life is. You know, do you ever wrestle like, am I the same person that I was this morning when I was there? <laughs> you know, you, you get up in the morning, you connect with God through your devotion, you worship, you pray, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You have a sense, a sense of God's pleasure in your life and victory. Then you go to work or you, you try to get out the door and pretty soon you're like, what just happened? And, and that hour of devotion is gone. It evaporates. And you think, like, is something wrong with me? Like, <laughs> Am I the real person? Am I the person that I got this morning and connected with God in prayer? Any of you identifying with this struggle? Are you the same person? Yes, you are the same person. And no, you do not need therapy. No, you do not need inner healing. We are normal, everyday, ordinary Christians living in the tension of two kingdoms. We are victorious failures. We are broken winners at the same time. I love how author and scholar Derek Morphew says we are glorious contradictions. He says we are simultaneously triumphant and groaning. We are new creatures with new natures, and yet we war against the flesh. God always leads us in triumph, and yet our lives seem to be one long battle. 
as we look within ourselves, we sometimes feel victorious, joyful, and free, and yet these moments are quickly replaced by feelings of great weakness, fear, and groaning from which we long to escape. Such is the Christian life. Now, hopefully, over time, we are learning to cooperate with the indwelling Holy Spirit. We are learning how to live out verses like Ephesians 4, uh, verses 22 to 24, where the Apostle Paul said, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so hopefully we're practicing this throwing off the old sinful nature and putting on the new. But it's something that we do uh, daily. We, we grow in this. Uh, in, in, in Paul's letter to the Galatian church, in the context of, of that comments about the old nature that we just read, he said, since we are now living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so this active engagement of following the leadership of the Holy Spirit shows us it's possible. And yet we live in the already not yet. Already redeemed, righteous, holy, God's son or daughter, not yet fully Christ-like, still struggling with sin. Now, if we camp out at either end of this tension, if you can imagine these two truths on a spring that's, that's being pulled and stretched, if we camp out at either end of the tension, we end up with an unbiblical foundation and unhealthy practices, and our experiences are going to be derailed. Let me describe. See, if all you embrace is freedom from sin, then we slip into triumphalism, and we uh, live in denial at best, or fanaticism and pride at worst. On the other end, if all we ever embrace is the reality of our frailty and weakness and our vulnerability to sin, we slip into defeatism. And what happens is we live in hopeless, joyless groaning, like lowly worm. So we've got to live in the tension of both. Both are true and present at the same time. Two ages coexist within us. Now, it's not a dualism of inner parts, where you have a good part and a bad part. And sometimes the bad part wins, and sometimes the good part wins. It's not a dualism of, of, of a, a confused nature. No, what we're experiencing is the already not yet of the two kingdoms, not the division of your human soul or personality into two parts, the, the old sinful part and the new righteous part. You have one new nature. That is your identity a son or a daughter of the living God who lives in the presence of two kingdoms. And so we are still connected. There's a continuity of sorts with this present evil age. We don't fully understand, but it, it's here. We are one new person, but we still have a, a connection with the old way of life, the, 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 the ways of thinking and deciding and acting and living that are rooted in this present evil age don't just disappear because we are now right in Christ. We are still linked to this present evil world, and that's why we have to learn to walk by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Something we learn, something we grow in. Now, the point of this whole detour this morning is this, that we can and we do sin, which is why we need to pray the fourth petition in the Lord's Prayer. We miss the mark, don't we? 
I think we're all kind of unilaterally in agreement with that today. We're selfish. We're self-centered. We're concerned with our own comfort and, 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 and pleasure and happiness. Thank you very much. I want it my way. We, we were privileged this last couple of days to have our two-year-old grandson with us. Um, and uh, while we had four of our own that passed through that age, I kind of forget how selfish you actually are at two years of age. <laughs> it's every, everything is about them, right? We are born self-centered. We are impatient. We are angry. We are judgmental. We are prejudiced. We lie. We take things from our employer because, after all, they don't pay us enough anyhow, and so we justify uh, you know, a little extra of whatever. We, we, uh, don't report all of our, all of our income. We promise and we don't deliver. We gossip. We harbor grudges. Uh, we covet. We lust. We do say and think things that are wrong. All of us. That's the universal human condition. We fall short of God's glorious standard. We can and we do sin. Now, as a pastor for 30 some odd years, I know that most believers struggle with a sense of guilt and shame, consequently a lack of self-worth over their ongoing sin. And then frequently, our enemy, the devil, comes in with accusations about our identity. Immediately, oh, you can't be a Christian, you ugly slug, because Christians don't think and say and do those kinds of things. Anybody identify those thoughts, those accusations? The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. Why? Because when, when we sin and fall short of God's glorious standard, he immediately accuses us. And, and almost universal, worldwide, every age, every culture, Christians struggle with the issue of, of guilt and shame over our ongoing sin. Feelings of, of, of a lack of self-worth. Our sin creates barriers, real barriers between us and God. And so this part of the prayer is meant to dismantle those barriers so we can be connected once again. Thankfully, when we do sin, God makes provision for our daily cleansing with this petition in the Lord's Prayer by asking Him to forgive us our sins. And when we confess our sins and we ask God's forgiveness and cleansing, those barriers that stand between us are are torn down. Those those lies that build up in our mind are, are dismantled. And once again, our true identity can emerge and we can stand before God cleansed and, and renewed. We don't fall in and out of being God's child. And that's a really important distinction. It's never a struggle of identity. That's where the enemy gets us. We kind of think one day, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sinner and the next day I'm a saint. No, you're always a, a, a saint. That's your identity. You, that's why the prayer starts, our Father. You see, identity isn't at question here. When we sin, we don't fall out of being God's son or daughter, and then when we're forgiven, we're back in. Your identity is secure. The issue is only the depth and and breadth of the vitality of our connectedness to God. And to the degree that we sin, we that there are barriers that, that are erected between us, that stuff gets in the way. But our identity is secure. The only struggle is really one of our degree of connectedness. And so every day we can ask the Father to cleanse and restore us. Not to make us... Uh, his son or daughter again. That's already settled. And and there's really nothing too big or too little. Do you notice that Jesus doesn't qualify? Forgive us our big sins today. <laughs> or forgive us our ongoing sins. No, it's just forgive us our sin, period. It's a universal blanket uh, invitation because there are, there are little things and big things and everything between that get in the way. So let's let's kind of like 
bring the plane home and land it on the, on the, run, the runway now. About So how do we actually then uh, deal with this section of the Lord's Prayer? What do we do? Well, let me just give you a couple tracks to run on when we're in this section. First, just ask the Holy Spirit to search your life and reveal sin. Now, let me just tell you, it probably isn't going to take very long for that to happen. <laughs> You're probably pretty aware, headed into the Lord's Prayer, what he's going to say. But, but because we want to be led by the Holy Spirit, which is the invitation we've already seen in Romans and Galatians, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you. And if you're open and honest, if you're not living in denial, if your conscience, the part of you that says, do right, but needs to be trained, your conscience needs to be trained in what doing right is. That's why people can sin with impunity. They can do stuff that's wrong and not think it's wrong because their conscience has never been trained on what doing right is. In some degrees, our consciences have been seared and now they're hardened to the areas of our life that are sin, which is why we ask God for his insight. And then you wait for him to speak. Because prayer is a conversational two-way relationship about the life we're living together. And so you wait for God to speak. Now, I understand, friends, that at any one time, there's probably a list of about 25 things that the Holy Spirit could parade in your mind about things that are wrong. Okay? That's just human nature. So ask the Holy Spirit, what do you want to deal with me today? What, what is it that do you want me to put uh, uh, up for cleansing and renewal today? See, that's a... Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us today our sins. What are the sins today that he's concerned about? It's not that he's not concerned about all sin, but it is to say that he's our father and he knows the sin that that he wants to deal with right here, right now. Most of us, though, already know that there's probably two or three areas where we are missing the mark and grieving the Holy Spirit most prominently where you're not reflecting the character of Christ in a way that God wants to deal with. And so listen for him there. And then if the Holy Spirit brings any thoughts to your mind, and usually what's going to happen, it's going to come in your mind and go out. You're not going to hear an audible voice. You're not going to see, you know, a, a verse highlighted in yellow in your Bible and it jumps off the page. Uh, you know, a bird's not going to fly in as a messenger from heaven and chirp something you understand. God can do all of that because he has... But more than likely, it's going to be through a gift of the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom, the voice of the inner Holy Spirit. And they come and they go like butterflies. And you're going to have a tendency to think, oh, that was just me. Well, it was just you because that's the only way God has to speak to you is you. I mean, what else does he do? He uses your capacities to speak to you. And so he energizes your thoughts, your imagination, your your sense, and, and you'll, you'll hear God highlight something. And so when you hear him, then you just say, Lord, I'm sorry. You don't have to pray up a feeling or work down a sense of whatever. You just obey. Lord, I'm sorry. I confess to you my sin. That's what the Bible calls repentance. It's just uh, turning from sin and turning to God. That's what the, the word repentance means. It can be accompanied with godly sorrow, but not necessarily. And so when the light of the Holy Spirit shines on it, you cooperate with it. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to turn from that. I, I give it to you. I confess that sin to you. Now, the word confess in the New Testament means to agree with or to say the same thing as. And so when we confess our sin, we're telling God, I agree that you call this wrong. I agree with you. I say the same thing as you say about it. It's unchristlike. It's unhealthy in my relationship with you and with others. And so I'm sorry. I agree with you. 
It does not reflect who I really am as your son or your daughter. Forgive me. And then when we ask him to forgive, it's actually not just a theological exercise. It's a real experience. This is not mental gymnastics, people. This is the real deal. You ask God, he does something about it. What does he do? Well, in 1 John chapter uh, 1, verse 9, we see what God does. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. That's God's promise. So God invites us in this petition in the Lord's Prayer to confess and agree with him, to be forgiven, and then his promise is that he is faithful to forgive you and to cleanse you. Now that is shouting ground. That is good news right there. And then, you know, after that prayer exchange, if the guilt and condemnation from the enemy begins to arise, oh, you sluggard, you lowly worm, real Christians don't think and do and say those things, and all those other accusations that, that ring in the, in the memory bank of your gray matter, when that stuff starts to arise, you can just remind him, no, my identity is rooted It's rooted as God's son or daughter. The grace and blood of Jesus Christ, his son, has brought me forgiveness. Now, let me add a postscript. There'll be areas in all of our lives where we continue to struggle to overcome sin. It may be a habitual thing for you. It may be hidden and out of sight from anyone else. It may may exist in the realm of your thoughts or your desires. It may be... uh, a, a hidden sin or a habit, uh, an addiction. It may be a stronghold that has come down through your family bloodline. You saw that your grandfather had this problem, and then you discovered maybe later in life that your mother or your father had this problem, or that a number of your siblings have this problem as well. See, there are, there are strongholds, and we're going to look a little bit more about what this means next week. But there are issues that come down to you through no choice of your own, through your genetics, through your upbringing, through your biology. And some of these things aren't just things you shake off like the next day. They're rooted in, in this present evil age. I mean, and, and it's, it's that, that patterns of behavior is ground deep in you. And so for areas that we're still struggling, let me suggest a couple of things. On a personal level, specifically ask God for overcoming power. The power that sin has been broken in your life. You see... Following Jesus is not a self-improvement program. Jesus did not die so his people could just be nice and polite. That's not the reason he died. He died so that sin could be broken in our life. And that just doesn't happen automatically. So allow, pray that you would allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to actually begin to change us, change what we think, change what we feel, change what we believe, change what we experience as normal. Holy Spirit, you live in me. Rearrange the architecture of my mind and my will and my emotions to reflect Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit, you, Lord, who live in me. Let that be what people see and feel and experience. I love what Paul promises to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3.18. As the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him every day. That is good. Invite the Holy Spirit to have his way in you in these areas that are particularly challenging regarding sin. And then secondly, I'm going to take you outside your comfort zone here. Seek the help of others. That might be today at the end of our service where you come up and ask someone to pray for you. It might mean in your small group, a group of 
uh, 5 to 15 that love and trust one another. It might mean with a really good friend this week over a cup of coffee at Panera. Confess our weakness to one another. One person wisely said it this way. We are only as sick or unhealthy as the secrets we keep from one another. That can a friend to friend, roommate to roommate, brother to sister, husband to wife, and all relationships. As sin is exposed, its power is diminished. Let me say it this way. Vulnerability releases victory. Numbers of you are, are shaking your head because you've seen when you finally are humbled enough to confess your, your uh, sin and weakness to one another, especially those hidden areas that are previously undisclosed, its power is somehow diminished and broken in your life. The enemies uh, got it exposed, and, and that vulnerability can release victory. Other people can help you because they can hear from the Holy Spirit, and they can minister with what I call the power tools, gifts of healing, gifts of word of wisdom and word of knowledge, gifts that are outside of us, and they can, they can be used by God to break a stronghold in your life, to break the power of a bloodline uh, issue that's come down to you, maybe an irrational belief system, an unbiblical belief system, maybe a vow or a curse that someone has placed on you, maybe uh, maybe even uh, pray for you to be free from a demonic spirit. Because, see, you, you can't just pray what needs to be cast out, and you can't cast out what needs to be prayed for. And then, and so real life, they, they can be God's instruments to bring real life to you in a way that on your own you, you, you don't have. That's why God gives us a body. If you count the personal pronouns in the Lord's Prayer, you'll notice that it's always a prayer we pray in community. There's no me, mine, and, and my, and, and, uh, me in this, in this prayer. It's always our, us. The pronouns are indi- indicating that God's will for us is to pray in community. And so there might be times you're going to have to courageously admit this, that your struggle is not going to go away until you receive the help of others in your church community. So I like to think of receiving God's forgiveness in this section of the prayer this way. As a son or daughter of the Father, I'm already clean and made right in God's sight through the death and resurrection of His Son. No no one, nothing can change that position. But my sin every day can make me muddy and dirty and unpresentable, maybe even unrecognizable to God, my Father. And so when we pray by accepting the Lord's invitation to to forgive us our sin, it's like taking a shower or a bath. We get clean. We're living in the middle of those two tensions, secure in our identity as a son or a daughter, leaning into that but then daily asking the Father to cleanse and renew us where we've messed it up, where we've become muddied by sin. And taking a shower is good, isn't it? Now, today we're going to celebrate the two truths that we talked about as we share communion. We're going to celebrate that that Jesus' death has already given us victory as a son or daughter, but there's also going to be areas where we need to confess before him. And so I might encourage those of you who who need to wrestle today with the Lord uh, to do that during communion. For some of you, maybe taking the bread and the cup is going to indicate you're trusting God for the very first time to become a son or a daughter. It's going to be your way of testifying to God that you're in. You want to be a son or a daughter. For others of you that are already Christ followers, it's going to be a way you, you can put this prayer into practice. Lord, forgive me my sin today as I confess them to you and apply the blood of Jesus today afresh again. Lord, thank you 
that you've left us not alone and didn't dump us on the scrap heap of sin and guilt and condemnation, but you you made provision for us to come to you and receive forgiveness through Jesus' death and resurrection. And for that, we are humbled and grateful. There is no way, God, we could have ever paid you a debt that large. You just forgave us, and you invite us to continue to be forgiven every day. I thank you, God, that you're shining light, that, that we're not schizophrenic, we're, we're not uh, otherworldly. We, we are like real Christians linked to this present world, but yet um, filled with your spirit and cleansed and renewed at the same time, that we are these glorious contradictions. Thank you, Lord, for the insight that you're giving us, and I pray that you put power on your word to all of our lives today. And now, Lord, as we bless you with uh, these gifts of the offering and the lifting of our hearts and and hands in song. We pray that you'd receive them for what they are, the intentions that say, we love you and we thank you. In your name, Lord. Amen.